This is an ABC podcast. Everything transformed in 2020, including jury trials. Usually there's a collection of lounges. In fact, I think there's some recreational table tennis tables. There's there's opportunities for coffee and tea. And a pool table from memory. And they basically mix. And this is an opportunity where they can have breaks. Now, of course, we can't do that during COVID. Right now, Victorian jurors can't enjoy a friendly game of pool or table tennis during a break in a lengthy, stressful criminal trial. We don't want people socialising and mixing. We want to control the social distancing between everyone. Hi, Damien Carrick here. As we've discussed in previous Law Report programs, and you can listen anytime on your favourite device, most family law and civil law trials have migrated entirely into the virtual space. Many courtrooms stand empty as judges, lawyers and witnesses, all sitting in their homes or offices, instead gather online. But there's a consensus that you can't do that with a criminal trial. So how does a COVID-safe jury trial work? I've come to the normally bustling county court building in Melbourne. Totally quiet. It's ghostly. There's nobody here. Normally it's teeming with uh, accused, with lawyers scurrying around. It's, It's quite extraordinary. I've made my way through security and several more secure doors, and I'm now in the jury pool room. Ordinarily, we'd have several hundred members of the jury pool come through this room in a pre-COVID environment. My guide is Chief Justice of the Victorian County Court, Peter Kidd. And they receive an introduction from the jury's commissioner and his staff. And then throughout the course of the day, various panels, which are smaller groups, then taken to each court and they are the jury panels from which a jury is struck for a particular case. But in the current situation, there are seats for, it's in fact 30 people, not several hundred. Rather than bringing in a full jury pool of several hundred, the jury's commissioner via telephone and email effectively selects a smaller panel so that the number is contained. I've been in here before and uh, when I came in before, it sort of reminded me very much of an airport lounge. You know, you had rows of chairs and tables. Yes. It's really very different because um, you just have these sparse chairs which are really far apart and it's not a very communal friendly place anymore. No, it's not meant to be. Usually there's a collection of lounges. In fact, I think there's some recreational table tennis tables. There's there's opportunities for coffee and tea. And a pool table from memory. And they basically mix and this is an opportunity where they can have breaks. Now, of course, we can't do that during COVID just in case there is uh, an infection. Now here with this room, 30 seats, it's very sparse. It's not particularly friendly, but they're all socially distanced and that's the whole point. So when did jury trials recommence in Victoria? A few weeks ago. So we've only recommenced on the 16th of November. And how many have taken place so far? Uh, We've had three verdicts. And as of tomorrow, I think we will have had 10 trials up and running. And then we've got two or three next week. Victoria is the last jurisdiction to get up and running because of our, of course, our very severe second lockdown. That's right. Other jurisdictions, I think, recommenced jury trials in about June, July. That's right. Indeed, we were intending to recommence in July. We had, we had a pilot scheduled. We had trials set down. But of course, the second wave then hit. So how big is the backlog? Uh, The backlog, it's significant. We have 750 pending trials in Melbourne and we have about 390 pending trials in regional Victoria. 
So for the state, it's in excess of 1,000 trials which are outstanding. Now, we're being asked to move on, I believe, because I think some of the first jurors are arriving for their induction. I'm assuming prospective jurors have been given the the choice or the option of postponing their jury service because of concerns about COVID-19. Yes. Have many taken up that option? Within the courtroom environment, once they're at court, the answer is no. In fact, no one has sought to be excused upon that basis. However, you need to bear in mind that we're actually conducting the initial jury pool arrangements remotely or virtually, and the juries commissioner and his staff are doing that. They communicate with each of the prospective jurors in the jury pool, and they ask them those questions about whether they fit within a vulnerable category, whether they have any particular anxieties because of the COVID environment, whether they're comfortable wearing a mask. And if the prospective juror indicates that they're not comfortable or they are elderly or they have a particular medical condition, then the Jurors Commissioner will excuse them from doing service or defer their service. So that filtering out process is taking place at an earlier point in time. Sure, sure, we're, we're being ushered along. Now we're now leaving the jury pool area and we're going up some stairs through a, a door and we're going into a lift. And we're gonna, what, head up to one of the courtrooms, Chief? We are. Yeah. Going back to your question, I don't know the exact statistics with that. That's run by the Juries Commissioner, quite separate from us. So people may be taking up that option, but it's not interfering with the ability no, to, no. to get a sufficient number of jurors. It's, it's definitely not. So we've gone up in the lift and we're now on the third floor and we're, um, we're walking down some corridors and we're about to go through a very nice wooden panelled door. Um, we're now entering a courtroom. We are. And, and it's obviously through the judge's entrance because right. we've now arrived at the elevated platform which has the bench where you or your colleagues would sit. Yes, that's right. So we're now in what we call court... 3.3, what you uh, can see isn't what you'd normally see. We're standing on the elevated platform where the, you, you would normally be sitting down at the seat just to our right. Below that is a, another platform, uh, a series of desks where your associates would sit. And then behind that is the bar table, a, a big long desk where the advocates or the lawyers sit and from where they address the court. And then to the right is the jury box uh, running along the side of the courtroom. You also at the back of the room have where the accused normally sits and then to the left of, of you uh, opposite the jury box is the witness box which is a small elevated seat where the witnesses sit and also there's a big giant video screen so the layout's obviously still the same what, what's different yeah you'd normally come into this court and you'd, the jury box would actually be a lot smaller we would have all 15 seats ah, this is actually a 15 seat jury box it'd be of a lot course. smaller up to the left there the permanent wooden panelled yes. box has actually been extended That's it right. is now twice the size yeah. and there's sort of a series of small temporary panels making the jury box twice the size and, and rather than side by side the seats are we've gone from economy to business or we, first we class have. haven't we in we terms have. of um, the, the seating spaciousness yeah we've effectively added in a row at the front and then towards the end of the jury box and that's to ensure that we're comfortably compliant with social distancing both from an elongated point of view and diagonally. The other thing which is different is that you'll see there are no, effectively no public seating in the body of the court. So we have this principle of open courts yes. in Australia. If the public or the media want to attend court, that's not possible right now? Um, there's very limited capacity. 
Every case is different and if a particular member of the press wanted to attend then that's a matter that could be raised with the judge. But what we're focusing on is ensuring that the media and indeed any other member of the public who wants to follow a trial can do so virtually. And we're able to do that in most instances. So we can, I can follow from my computer in my home office. You can. Now, Chief, you've been very insistent that you're wearing your mask because um, you, you've said it's, it's important that uh, you set an example or, or follow the, the rules that uh, are required of everyone else. Yes. So everybody attending a trial in this courtroom will be wearing a mask. That's right. We took advice from an epidemiologist. And at least for this initial resumption phase, which is this year, where we're effectively running a pilot, we determined on the basis of that advice that everyone would wear masks. And you'll, you'll revisit that uh, rule maybe in the new year, perhaps? Yes, we would. Frankly, I was dubious when you insisted on wearing the mask because I thought, you know, it won't be a clear recording of your voice. But in fact, it is pretty clear. Yeah. In terms of the way the trials are operating, are people expressing concerns about the clarity, how clear people's voices are? Yeah, not the clarity and comprehension. And I should say that we've got microphones, uh, for counsel and witnesses and any other speaker, and we've adjusted them to ensure that they have an amplification function. But um, our experience thus far is that there have been no significant issues with respect to the comprehension. In terms of minimising the number of people who are in courtroom at any one time, what steps are you taking there? I mean, are more witnesses than usual giving their evidence remotely? I can see that big uh, yes. video screen to the right of the bench behind the witness box. So is that happening? Yes. The strong default position is that witnesses give their evidence remotely. So we have arranged for a number of remote facilities where witnesses within the court and also at the location of some of the institutional litigants, such as the Office of Public Prosecution. They come up on those screens, they're cross-examined and examined by the relevant counsel within the courtroom. That way, that's one less person in the courtroom. And obviously with a witness, and certainly most witnesses, uh, especially where their credibility and reliability is an issue, it's important that they, their full face be seen so the jury can make an assessment looking at their demeanour as well as what they're saying. Remotely, they don't need to wear masks. Now, there may be, uh, we still allow for some occasions where the witnesses may have to give evidence from within the courtroom. And in those instances, again, our rules indicate what should take place. And with the first position is that they ought to wear a mask. And if they're not wearing a mask, a face shield. So this facility for um, video links to remote witnesses, that's always been available and, you know, it started off for, for sort of sexual assault complainants or for witnesses who were overseas, but it's now in this COVID era become standard. Yes, it has become standard in this COVID era. What about the accused? In this COVID safe trial environment, are the accused, as is always their right, Yes. Are they here in court? The accused always sits in court at the back of the court. If they give evidence, which is their right, they can give evidence from the witness box, wearing a mask, a shield, or they can give evidence remotely. They're still here for the trial. They're not attending trial remotely. No, as I said, we've got about, as of tomorrow, we will have about 10 jury cases. And my understanding is that all 10 would be participating in person within the courtroom. But we've had other hearings, such as judge alone trials, where some of the accused have participated via the video link from prison. And that's been their choice? Correct. What have been the types of trials that you've had, jury trials, which have recommenced? A full cross-section. 
That's with the only qualification, and by cross-section, I should explain, this court does all serious criminal trial work, save for murder. So we've had sexual offences, which makes a very large proportion of our work, you know, some 40 to 50% aggravated burglary and crimes of violence and the like. The only qualification that I'd make is that because we are effectively engaging in a jury pilot to get juries back up and running within this environment, and in accordance with these special new rules or approaches, we deliberately selected reasonably short trials. So most of our trials that we're running between now and Christmas are effectively five to seven days, with one or two a bit longer. Now, Chief, we're just walking down the stairs from the kind of bench area and then we're now right in front of the jury box, the large jury box. Aha! Now, here to the left, I can see a door in behind the jury box uh, and this is taking us to the jury room. Can we just um, walk walk through here? I love going into jury rooms. They're they're pretty kind of, uh, well from my perspective, kind of sort of magical places. Well, they're, they're, in some ways they're secret places, aren't secret, they? Because, secret, sacred because places. Because they're sacred, because this is where they jury, that's, this is where they do their work. And they, of course their deliberations are confidential. A, a lot of uh, heavy and intense that's argument right. takes place. Because we don't actually know because we, the, we have the no doors idea. are shut. And that's the magic here. It is a sacred, special it place. I, I always love coming into these places. It's a small room. Yes. This one has a round table with 12 chairs. Yes. But I've been into others even smaller than this, I must say. Um, well, the old-fashioned ones are tiny. Yeah, tiny, tiny, very cramped. Do juries in these new COVID safe trials, are they still coming into this this room and, no. and sitting around this no, kind of table? It's just too small. That would not comply with social distancing. We've always wanted, and by comfortable compliance, even beyond strict compliance. And the reason for that is that we want juries to feel safe and comfortable so that they're focusing on justice not on whether the room is big enough or whether it complies with social distancing. So what we've done is um, adopted a different approach. Show me. So we're now leaving the the jury deliberation room. We are. And uh, walking back down the corridor, back into the court. We're now walking back across the court back into the main entrance to the to the court and we're now in the foyer. We are. Where are you taking me, Chief? The solution that we came up with is that we've effectively used oh, another courtroom. I see, so I see. we've got a paired courtroom arrangement. So there's a trial room and now we're moving into what we'd call the jury room, which is just another courtroom. Yep. But adapted. So we're now entering another courtroom, which is pretty much of similar dimensions to the one we were in before. Yeah. And now there are maybe a large number of desks which have been arranged in a square formation around which there are 12 seats. But uh, they're very much socially distanced. They're about two metres at least between each of the 12 chairs. Yes. The room itself is also a very large size. I mean, it's much larger than is actually necessary. Bearing in mind that... Um, we're still at a pilot phase in Victoria, but if you're using half your courts as jury deliberation rooms, that means that your capacity to actually hold trials is reduced, right? It's significantly reduced. In, in fact, ordinarily, in a, a non-COVID environment, we could be running up to around 20 simultaneous jury trials at any one time. We, under this particular arrangement, we are limited to conducting 10 what that means is that we're, we're actually operating at, at 50% capacity. 
we will continue to operate, operate at that reduced capacity so long as COVID remains and social distancing remains. And that has a consequence on the backlog because the backlog, actually the delay compounds because we're not, whilst we've started, we're not back to normal. So long as we're not back to normal, we're not eating into the backlog, but in fact, the backlog is still increasing. Of course, another response to the pandemic in Victoria has been the introduction of judge-alone trials. And, and while ju judge-alone trials have been possible elsewhere in Australia, up until this year, they have not been an option. No. They have not been a, a possible here in Victoria. You've crossed that bridge because it was a necessary step to address the backlog. Well, the courts didn't cross that bridge. Parliament did. It required legislative change, so it, it was a policy decision by the government of the day. Part of the emergency response. Part of the emergency response. And judge alone trials are quicker, less complicated, fewer people. Is that the way it works? Well, um, I suppose it, there's the obvious difference, which is it doesn't involve a jury. Uh, it doesn't involve the impalement of the jury. So at that level, there's a simplification to it. It's open to debate as to whether or not judge-alone trials ultimately are more efficient or not. I won't get into that debate with anybody. That's a matter for the legislature to examine that debate because that's a factor that needs to be taken into account as to whether and how far we go with judge-alone trials. The only observation I would make is that, of course, with a judge-alone trial, the judge needs to write his or her reasons for the verdict. And depending upon the complexity of the trial, that can be quite a challenging and time-consuming exercise. So it's not a, one can't simply compare the time of the trial prior to the judge going out to write the reasons with the time of the trial run before a jury. You need to take into account the judgment writing time, which can be extensive. But certainly they've been adopted as a time-saving... Well, I think they've been adopted, I'm not sure about that. I think they've been adopted because juries were suspended. So and as so a COVID-safe yes, measure yes, as that, opposed to getting through the backlog? Yes. Well, they were adopted, as you pointed out, as part of the emergency laws in response to COVID uh, against the background that jury trials had been suspended. And it was a way in which some of the indictable criminal work, the work that would normally go to a jury, could still be done. So we've been having in Victoria for the first time ever yes. a judge-alone trial since I think about July. And what have been the rate of acquittals versus the rate of guilty verdicts? Uh, I can't tell you the exact percentage, but largely they've been acquittals. Largely acquittals? Yes. So if, if the accused now have an option of a judge-alone trial, maybe they should take up that option? You probably well, wouldn't give that advice. But that's uh, a matter for the advisors and the counsel and the solicitors to advise their clients. And obviously I, I won't get into that. I'd simply make the observation this is a very small number of cases. You can't uh, extrapolate. It, it, it's, it's very difficult. I would have thought to extrapolate anything from that. Of course, New South Wales is a jurisdiction where they've had judge loan trials for many years. There have been lots of studies done, uh, the outcome of judge loan trials versus jury trials in New South Wales, and no doubt that's a matter for the advisers to inform themselves of. To have a judge alone trial, both the defence and the prosecution have to okay that, don't they? The, the accused must consent. Prosecution doesn't need to consent. Um, they need to be heard on the argument. But if an accused uh, wants a judge alone trial, it's open to the court 
even in the face of opposition from the prosecution to grant it. And are judges granting those applications for judge alone trial? As a general rule, most applications, just as an, as an objective fact, most applications have been acceded to. 2020 has thrown an enormous sort of spanner in the works in terms of all of our lives, including the, the trial, criminal trial systems, and you've adapted. What changes do you think will continue into the future once the crisis is over. Yeah. I don't think we know uh, the full answer to that yet. And no doubt we'll learn more between now and, and when we finally find ourselves in a post-COVID era. But I think in a broad sense, what we can say is this, that probably greater scope for the use of remote witnesses. And judge alone trials? Well, that's a matter for the parliament. At the moment, I think there's a sunset clause Effectively, they're in place under the emergency legislation for the duration of COVID. Now, what happens in the post-COVID world will be a matter for the parliament. Do you have a view? Whatever view I have, I'm not going to get involved in any particular public debate about it because it's a, it's a policy issue for government. Chief Judge of the Victorian County Court, Peter Kidd, uh, thank you very much for, for showing me around the courts. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. I'm Damien Carrick, today exploring how criminal trials have been adapted during the pandemic. And for more on jury trials, check out our series Inside the Jury Room. You'll find it on the Law Report homepage. In New South Wales, the criminal courts are not operating at full capacity, but the trial backlog is much less severe than in Victoria. There are two main reasons for this. As in most parts of Australia, COVID-safe jury trials resumed back in July. Also, judge-alone trials have been common for years, making up more than a quarter of all trials. Throughout 2020, COVID-safe judge-alone trials continued. In comparison, there have only been about eight completed judge-alone trials in Victoria. There are, of course, important considerations before a criminal defence lawyer will opt for a judge-alone trial. Peter Christenthal is a New South Wales public defender. Well, each case has to be determined on its own merits. And by way of example, if in defending a particular matter, it may be necessary to, to divulge some other sort of criminality, that's a matter where I'd actively give consideration to a judge-alone trial. For example... Deemed supply if a person is found in a in possession of a certain quantity of drugs, they're deemed to have that in their possession for the purposes of supply. But in actual fact, they may have been able to secure a larger amount for their own personal use, and they have a very significant drug habit. That would be difficult to run in front of a jury because it would need to reveal that the person had a a, a long and significant drug habit. So in revealing criminal behaviour or other aspects of, of, of an accused personality, you might not come across very well to a jury. They might not be able to separate that out from whether somebody is guilty or not guilty of the offence for which they are charged at this particular trial. That's right. And, and that, that then leads to the unfair prejudice. I'm wondering, is it also how somebody might come across to a jury? I mean, they might be unlikable or, or, you know, covered in tattoos for that matter. I mean, th these sorts of intangibles, or we're not, maybe not, maybe they're not intangible, maybe to, to you they're very kind of clear markers of, of how somebody might be received. No, they're, they're certainly considerations. Over the years I've given consideration to those sorts of issues for people that have tattoos revealing that they're in a motorcycle group, for example, which may 
invariably attract some significant prejudice to them before before anything is said. And what are some of the other attributes, both physical or, or personality, that might um, sway your thinking about whether a case should be heard by a judge or a, a jury? Well, if the subject matter is unfortunately quite confronting or gruesome, which would naturally attract very significant negative emotion. Pre-trial publicity is another one. In certain matters, there's saturation publicity about a particular matter, and try as they might, a jury might have very real difficulties in putting that out of their mind, whereas a judge is trained to actually only rely on the relevant and admissible evidence rather than all of those other outside matters. Do you have any sense of whether or not they are quicker than jury trials? That they take less time? They tend to be because issues such as legal issues can be dealt with there and then without the jury having to leave. There's a lot of instances, particularly for psychiatric and medical terminology, where there's no real explanation required of what particular things are because they're common in the in the criminal law. And so a lot of that background information doesn't need to be provided to a jury to enable understanding. So you don't need to explain a lot of technical, legal and technical medical and, and no doubt other kind of technical language and concepts to a jury. That's right, yes. I'm wondering, do you have any sense of whether there's a difference between the rates of a guilty verdict and an acquittal in a judge alone as opposed to a jury trial? Yes, I did some work on this a number of years ago and in the early 2000s, the rate for acquittals with judges was significantly higher than by way of a jury. But I think that there's a reason that that might be skewed and the only matters that were going to judge alone trials were matters, for example, mental health matters where all the doctors agreed and that was done by way of a judge alone trial. But, but that was significantly higher. But in more recent times, it's a fairly close run thing. Probably a jury is uh, a little more prepared to acquit, but it's only a matter of one or two percent. When do you think it's important and preferable to have a jury trial? Well, I think that that's always my default position, that a trial will be by a jury unless there's some form of prejudice to my client by doing that. And then it's in those circumstances that I'll seek a judge alone trial. And indeed, the legislation in New South Wales, if the court has to determine that question, it has to be in the interest of justice and they take into account also whether the trial will involve a factual issue that requires the application of what's called objective community standards. And so that's the legislation saying that for things like reasonableness, negligence, indecency or dangerousness, that the court should consider that that's the application of objective community standards and 12 people are better qualified to do that. So it's about getting that community understanding of what a community standard is. Correct, yes. Otherwise, you have one person who, like all judges, I, I fully accept, do the best they can, but it still is only one person's view. You, along with, I think, every lawyer, thinks that the right to a trial by jury is, is a fundamental and crucial right in our system. Absolutely. And not one to be given away lightly.
Is there a reluctance or a reticence by some defence lawyers in New South Wales to opt for judge-alone trials? I don't know whether you call it a reluctance, but um, I think that the default position for, for most lawyers is that unless there's a reason to ask for it, you proceed with a, a jury trial. Because jury trials are such an important and central part of our justice system. That's right, yes. New South Wales Public Defender Peter Christenthal. That's the Law Report for this week. A big thank you to producer Anita Barrow and to sound engineer this week, Tim Simons. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.